We watched the first part of Isaiah last week. Uh, I was actually planning on watching part two today and then um, changed my mind. So I, hopefully you guys saw the video that I posted on the OV Family page and you were able to, to kind of keep up to it. If not, it's still on there. It's also, if you downloaded the Read Scripture app, it's in there as well. Um, or you can always go to thebibleproject.com uh, and find it at their website or even on YouTube. We also have some of the, um, the maps, I guess you would call them, the, the book maps that the videos focus on. So Hosea, we're going to get into next Sunday. So if you still have that, hold on to it. Um, so today... We're, we're looking at a couple different things in Isaiah. So, what is the story of Isaiah? Do you guys remember? What's going on in Isaiah? Huh? He's a prophet, yeah. Yeah, exile. So, this, so God has this, this prophet who He calls to, to speak to the people and warn them of what is to come. The amazing thing that happens though in this is that not, not only does God have the prophet or, or give the prophet the ability to, to see what's going to happen to Israel, He also gives Isaiah the ability to see what's going to happen to Assyria and to Babylon. Um, and so even though it's, it's doom and gloom, remember we, we talked about how uh, you know, his, his message wasn't very popular, right? You wouldn't want somebody to come into your hometown and say, hey, by the way, the neighbors are going to come in and kick you out. Um, you know, that doesn't really, yay, right? Um, so, and so Isaiah was not received well. Um, one of the cool things, though, and, and one of the, the, the hopes that Isaiah does give um, his people is that a day will come when they will come back. They will get to go back to, to their land, to the land that God had given them. And if you guys have, have ever read that journey in the, in the Old Testament, it is so beautiful. And I'm excited because we're going to get to see that if you're following along with us in our plan. Um, but it's, it's an amazing story because events happen and hearts make decisions that... Only God could orchestrate that stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, Canada, because they're you know, so vicious, uh, coming down and taking us over, right? And shipping all of us up to Canada. And then one of us meets the Prime Minister of Canada, and he's like, you know, you should go back down there, and you know, let's, let's give you back your land, right? That's kind of what happens in the Bible. And that's a beautiful thing, because how likely is that to happen on our own? Not very likely, right? I don't know about you guys, but we take, we take land, we want to keep the land, right? It's our land, um, and we fight for that land. And yet, here God does something amazing. So what, what I want to focus on today is in Isaiah chapter 58. We're going we're gonna to read the whole thing. And, and I love it because... This, this really speaks to the heart of, of what I think is, is going on with Israel, but I, I believe it's also what can be going on in, in our own hearts, in our own lives when it comes to God and pursuing Him and that relationship. 
So Isaiah chapter 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why, we have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. And you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your flame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the old age foundations. And you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to the feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on in your heart or what's going on in your head as, as you read that, but immediately things start going on in my heart. Um, one, I, I love this because I, I love the heart that we see of God in this scripture. You know, um, it's it's. I, I really appreciate it because I think that you and I are used to uh, rules. Yeah, I think that you and I are the kind of people that it's like, all right, so, um, you know, I've. I, 
I have this stuff going on in my life, and, and so if, if, I, if I just read my Bible more, God is going to help me out. Have you guys ever had something like that happen? I know for me, I've had hard things happen in my life, tragedies, difficulties, okay? And I'm like, well, you know, God, I, I really, really, really need God's help with this, and so, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up, I'm going to start praying every day, and I'm going to start reading the Bible, and you know what? God's going to... He's going to notice that, that I'm serious this time. And then he's just going to swoop in and he's going to take care of everything. Am I the only one that's ever been like that? Okay. Because that's the kind of people we are, right? We, we, we tend to be busy. We tend to, to go about our lives and it's, and it's really, really easy to forget God, to forget that relationship, to forget focusing on what our calling is, because each of us have a spiritual calling, a way that God has uniquely equipped us to serve. And yet, a lot of times what we do is we do the exact same thing that he's accusing the people of here. What, what is fasting? What is fasting? Why do you fast? Because the Israelites have been eating a little too much and they, uh, you know... It's kind of like the, the old school diet. You just abstain from food. Is that, is that what fasting is? Yeah. The, the, which is kind of weird, <laughs> right? Let's just be honest. You know, when, when people talk to me about spiritual awakening because they haven't ate for like 10 days, then I'm like, well, maybe it's because your body's telling you you're starving and your, your brain's shutting down. Uh, but there is something there that God does not just from the abstaining of food, but what is it about? What's the point? Yeah, the, the heart, right? Um, I, I had a friend in college who uh, his best friend was on his way to uh, ask his girlfriend to marry him. He got in a car wreck and died. And so my, my friend was devastated. He was going to school to be a pastor and, and he had decided, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I don't even believe in God anymore. How, how can God allow something so horrible, how can He let that happen? I mean, this, this, this guy had his life ahead of him. He, he had the ring picked out. I mean, right? We would look at that and we would consider that a tragedy. And so he was, he was at this point of about to lose his faith and decided that he needed to do a 40-day fast which he did. He was very successful at it. And to me, I, my mind's not even there. You know, It's crazy. Uh, he had water for 40 days. And, but for him, that healed and repaired his relationship with God. Here, what we see going on is, is we see these people fasting as a way to show that they're religious. As a way to kind of manipulate God to where it's like, well look, I, I'm, I'm not eating, so come on, be mighty on my behalf. Do what I need you to do. And God's saying, no. No, because your idea of fasting is not my idea. I don't, I don't care about you abstaining from food. What, what I care is what you're doing with your, with your lives and your heart, how you're treating people, what you're doing with your life, the things that you're pursuing. You know, you, you say that you want my attention. You say that you want me to be mighty on your behalf. But, but do you care about the things that I care about? 
How are you treating the poor? How are you treating the hungry? The naked? Right? And see, I have to wrestle with those things. Because I know that in my own life, I can be guilty of doing the same thing. Well, you know, I'd really like a, a, a promotion and a raise at work. Well, Jesus, me and you, we're going to start hanging out because I want you to make that happen. Right? You know, God, I've, I've really been eyeing that new car. And uh, I, come on, Jesus, me and you, let's do this. You're my best friend. That's what we tend to do. When we want something or we're hurting, that's when we tend to go back to God. We, we tend to, to redevote ourselves, right? Until we get what we want. Is anybody else here guilty of that? I remember when, uh, when Jenny and I were dating. Um, Jenny's like as straight of an arrow as you can get, okay? And I'm like the broken, crooked arrow that's duct taped together. Um, my, my life has been interesting. And I made it very, very clear to her my past and who I had been and whatever. And if, and if we're going to do this, like, there was a whole bunch of stuff that I needed to do, right? Because I wanted to honor her. I wanted to honor her choices. I wanted to honor her commitments to God, who she wanted to be how pure she wanted to be on our wedding day because none of those were things that I was at all familiar with. And I tell you what, during that time, as I was seeking God and, and praying after God, and, and you know, because I, I knew that I needed His strength, I needed His wisdom and guidance, conviction to help me get through that. And then we got married and, and I started pastoral work. I started, uh, I did an internship before I was a youth pastor. And, and then, like, my relationship with God became more about reading and studying so I can share. Okay? It, it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about God changing my heart, God keeping me holy and, and righteous and, and having uh, the hunger and desire to serve and love people. It, it was more about, okay, what... These people are coming on Sunday, and if I stand up here and I don't have something to share, I'm going to be in trouble, right? I mean, there's only so many Sundays you're going to come up here and be like, well, he obviously didn't do anything this week. <laughs> um, and so my relationship with God became more about studying so that I can regurgitate. It's the same thing. It's just like fasting, but not with the right heart. Does that make sense? I want to go to Matthew chapter 6. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's interesting to me because Isaiah, right? Isaiah takes place, people think about 750 B.C. So here Jesus is in, in chapter 6 and he's still, he's still dealing with this stuff. Am I right? Oh, that's Mark. That's why the Scripture is not lining up. You know, they really shouldn't have chosen Mark for the second book. It should have been somebody with a different first name so you don't get them confused quickly. God didn't ask me about that, apparently. All right. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. This is Jesus talking to His disciples. And He says, And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others what he, that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this really gets to the heart of everything. Okay? Every single thing that we do should be done in secret. And, and by that, I don't mean like some sort of weird closet thing going on, right? But, but, but what I mean is that there's that secret place of the heart that only God can see. And so when, when I'm spending time with God, when I have my one-on-one solo time with Him, it needs to be that place that God sees and it has to be that place that's genuine. It has to be that, that place that, that is right with Him. When, when I come to church, it has to be that place. I, I have to be living out of that secret place. When I serve people, it has to be out of that secret place so that it's being done for the right reasons. Because if it's not being done for the right reasons, then it's all worthless. Honestly, I'm just going to say that. Going to church just to check it off your God loves me list is not worth it. Sorry. Studying the Bible, at least pretending you're studying the Bible, kind of going over it with your, with your eyes, but your heart's not in it, your mind's not in it. It's not the same. You know, and, and we talk about this a lot, right? But because if you've been paying attention to the books that we've been reading, this is our struggle. This is the real struggle for us is that we find God, we fall in love with God, everything's great, boom, all right, well, where is God, you know? Who is this God you talk about? Where's my golden calf that I can build? I need something to worship right now. Yeah, I'll follow your ways. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> But this looks so exciting. This is our story. This is our struggle. Because honestly, we're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to the things that we want in life. You know, it was interesting. I, I was talking to um, a missionary. So where Jenny and I went to college, we had chapel twice a week. Uh, because that's what good Christian colleges do, apparently. And uh, we had a, a missionary come over from Africa, and he was, he was talking to me about the difference between the African church and the American church. And he said, you know, in the, the African church, they, they go in there, and it's not about their preferences, it's not about their desires, it's about God. It's about seeking God, and it's about finding out how they can plug in so that they can go out and do things. And he said, you know, when I, when I go over to America and, and I go into your churches, I see that church is all about you. It's about the music that you're listening to. The color of your buildings. You know, uh, it's, it's about you getting your preferences met. And Jesus is at the very end of the list. And, and, and if I'm honest, I, I, I'm guilty of that at times. I was reading something the other day, and I'm, I say this in fear, so 
don't, uh, don't fire me on the spot, but um, it was talking about the difference between giving financially in the early church and, and giving financially now, right? And giving financially at the very beginning when the church first started, it, it was people gave financially so that they could give. So that, that you know, there's, there's the person over here that needs food. Let's, let's give them some food. There's this person over here who's a slave because they owe money. Then let's pay off his debt so that he can be free. And the church now, they give, and, and what does it go to? 97% of it goes usually to a salary or to facilities or to electrical costs, building costs. That's sad. Yeah? You know, I mean... Don't get me wrong, I love having a job. <laughs> Don't stop giving so that I have to look for a different one. But our priorities are also messed up. Giving has declined so much in the church, and, and I believe that's the number one reason, right? Why do I want to give money just so this guy can buy a new car or a new airplane or whatever? Because, you know, pastors need those things. We've lost what it means to live together in that secret place and to do things together out of that secret place. And our relationship with God and with each other and the, the world around us, the, the neighbors around us, they're never going to fully be impacted until we change our priorities. I, I, I don't know about you, but when, when God is saying those things in Isaiah, He's not like, well, you know, if you, want to, if you want me to see you, if, if you want me to, to hear your prayers, well, you could try caring about the poor. That might, that might help, yeah. Um, you know. No, he, he says that, that these are the things that you and I have to do to be connected to Him. That it's more than just lip service. It's hand service and heart service. So, I had said that we weren't going to watch that other video, and it's really because I wanted to watch this video. This is still within our reading plan, but I kind of skipped ahead. We actually finished Isaiah later on this week, and this video is, is part of what we're going to be watching this week in the reading plan, but I didn't want to ignore it because I felt it was too good. So. They've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? 
that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Let's pray.
You know, Abba, I think when it comes to you, one of the things that I am so thankful for is that I can't hide from you. God, there is nowhere that I can go that you aren't already there. God, and, and that means that, that who I am right now is bare before you. Everything about me, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, uh, my insecurities, the areas of my life where maybe I have a hard heart, everything can be seen. God, and, and, and I thank you that, that even in the midst of, of this and even in the midst of my heart and that you know who I am, you still love me. You still call me that, that you pursue me because you desire to change me. God, I, I pray for each one of us that our faith, our walk, our relationship with you would be genuine. God, that it would be something that, that we want as, as real as, as talking to a physical person. God, so that, that we can help fix this broken and hurting world. God, show us how to do that. Show us how to turn to You. Show us how to live constantly out of that secret place to where everything that we do is with the right heart, with the right motivation. Because then, not, not only will we be changed, but uh, I think everything that we do will be done with more passion. Thank You for this community that we get the chance to journey together or to help shape each other. Uh, it's, it's breathtaking. In Jesus' name, Amen. So thank you guys for coming. Um, Donna is in charge of snacks today, so I know that she's probably prepared something great. So for those of you that don't know, we usually hang out uh, afterwards and, and have some snacks. You're free to do that uh, or not, your choice, but it's a great time to get to know people. So thank you for coming. <laughs>